What's up, Pels fans? Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Preston Ellis, and you can find me at Preston Ellis. We are on a hot streak here at Pelican Debrief. Coming up, we've got fan-sided NBA's editor and columnist, as well as editor-in-chief at The Step Back. Ian Levy will be on the show. He's fresh off his ESPN appearance, and we are thrilled to have him. Now, we'll have Ian on in just a moment, but first, I want to tell you guys just a bit more about our program and what we've got coming up this week. Tomorrow, we will feature a wonderful interview with longtime Saints and Pelican reporter Jeff Duncan of the Times-Picayune, and we're following that up with Keith Smith of Real GM, Mason Ginsberg of Bourbon Street Shots, and our own staff, as well as the staffs at Fansided's Bulls, Lakers, and Nuggets sites. Those guys are going to come on and debate the merits and pratfalls of signing free agent point guard True Holiday, so keep your eyes open for that. Just this past week, we spoke with Pelican's feel-good story, Jordan Crawford, a really thrilling interview for me, as well as his press representative, Mia Fields. And we followed that up with our good buddy Matthew Huff at nuglove.com. Our site is growing exponentially, and it's because of you. So keep doing what you're doing. Subscribe. Share. But for now, it's time to phone a friend. And now we welcome Ian Levy onto the program. Ian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. The honor is all ours. Now, as you guys know, you are listening to the Pelican Debrief podcast. Hopefully you know that it's under the umbrella of the Fansided Network, and Ian is the senior editor and columnist for At Fansided NBA, basically our boss, the guys above us, and he's the editor-in-chief for The Step Back. You can follow them at the underscore step underscore back, and you can follow him at Hickory High. Ian, tell us a little bit about The Step Back and Fansided NBA. And what you guys have going on for us in the next couple of weeks during the NBA playoffs? Um, yeah, lots of playoff stuffs. Uh, the step back, um, uh, it was a new project for us this year. Uh, previously for Fansided, I'd run the HP Basketball Network, Hardwood Paroxysm Basketball Networks. We were four little mini satellite sites, and we each kind of had a different focus. So uh, Hardwood Paroxysm kind of covered the NBA as a whole, kind of had sort of an offbeat uh, take on things. Nylon Calculus was stats and analytics. Upside and Motor was D-League, Draft Prospects, Europe. Uh, and then Friendly Bounce was kind of focused on viral news and the players off the court, player personalities and that kind of stuff. So uh, going into this season, we just rolled it up into one big vertical and, and called it the step back, gave it a new home. And um, so, yeah, it's been fun trying to trying to cover the game from every angle, whatever you're into. Hopefully we've got something for you. So, yeah, uh, playoffs, uh, we've got your sort of traditional previews and recaps and stuff. All that's at Fansided NBA. Uh, if you're looking for sort of another level of detail, uh, we've got game breakdowns at the step back, uh, you know, digging into the the strategic nuance of, of the series. Uh, we're writing about players. We're writing about legacies. Um, and then we have a, a fun series we're doing uh, every morning called The Rotation. Um, and it's just three or four of our kind of favorite stories uh, from the night before uh, just kind of digging into uh, trying to give you a different look than just kind of straight recapping the game. So uh, last night uh, we had a little piece on uh, Rajon Rondo and the high post and how that's kind of picking the, picking the bulls apart uh, thing about Kyle Lowry rising to the moment, uh, some stuff about Giannis and, and uh, his long arms and how those uh, sort of make him such a special player and uh, Blake Griffin bouncing back and, and uh, you know, looking like the player he used to be last night. Very cool. Right off the cuff. Very impressive, Ian. 
So you guys got a sample of all the things that he's into and all the stuff that you can explore with some of the websites that he works for. Ian, you mentioned Rajon Rondo. Dive a little bit deeper. I know this is a very popular story right now. Uh, we're taping this on a Wednesday morning. The Bulls have just beaten the Celtics 111-97. to The game never really got closer than nine points in the fourth quarter, I believe. And they take a commanding 2-0 lead, both games being in Boston. Is this going to be the first 8-1 sweep we've ever seen? Um, I don't know. I, I think Boston's going to bounce back. I think they're, uh, you know, if, if I had to put money on the series, I think I'd still bet on Boston winning the series. I think they're the better team. And, uh, you know, Chicago, I still feel like there's some, some sort of inherent chaos baked into their team just from watching them this year, but Chicago is pushing all the right buttons. Um, you know, Rondo's taking advantage of his, uh, of his size over Isaiah Thomas, uh, that, uh, you know, third quarter run where they're putting him in the high post and letting him sort of kick uh, pass over the top to cutters and shooters on the perimeter uh, has been really nice. And Kevin O'Connor from the ringer had a, had a nice piece uh, this morning as well about how it, it's sort of clear that Rondo is kind of a step ahead on some things in the Celtics playbook. Um, you watch him playing defense and, uh, you know, a ton of deflections, a ton of steals. He seems to really know where the ball's going and whatever sort of uh, institutional memory he has. Uh, left from his time in Boston seems like it's serving him well and you know they're they're killing Boston on the defensive glass Boston's offense looks really disorganized and um, yeah Chicago's uh, got everything going for them right now not to sound too superstitious and we'll get mm-hmm. off this topic quickly but how much do you put into this hashtag TNT Bulls playing a factor in this series right now uh i'm i don't know i mean it's (laughs) on some level it's got to be random noise um i don't think i don't buy into the idea that a team can just uh sort of by force of will uh you know that some sort of psychological factor like that can make them uh you know go from unbeatable uh you know or from a, a league average team to unbeatable um so some of those wins you know are random chance or random noise um, you know, catching people with injuries or, you know, getting a couple lucky breaks here or there. But um, clearly there's some sort of motivating factor, you know, that that is helping Rondo uh, summon a level of play we haven't seen in a while. Uh, you know, Dwayne Wade rising to the occasion. Um, you know, I, I think both of those guys this year, uh, we saw them holding back in some places, kind of uh, holding some some uh, solid play in reserve, trying to pace themselves a little bit. Um, and they're they're breaking it out right now. Great stuff. But this is the Pelican Debrief Podcast. Let's get going. The number one story for the offseason Pelicans has to be Drew Holiday. He was putting up really uh, incredible numbers going into the All-Star break. 16, 7.5 assists, about 39% from three. But post-boogie, his numbers really dipped to 14, 7. His turnovers went up. And uh, Alvin Gentry even uh, delegated him to to scoring guard, off guard, and put Tim Frazier in the starting lineup as the point guard. Uh, the press conference, the season-ending press conference for the Pelican, it was a bit murky. They said they wanted him back, didn't really mention him as a number one off-season priority, probably due to the fact that it would take five years and $176 million to max him. What? Talk about your opinions on Drew, how much you think he's worth, or how much do you think he might potentially earn on the free agency market should he walk away? Um. It's it's hard. It's a steep price for him. Um, and I feel like you don't 
you know, he's sort of hard to evaluate because they haven't, uh, you know, he's had problems with injuries in the past and, and, um, but the, the whole team has been so racked by injuries and there's been so many sort of rotational changes. And now with DeMarcus Cousins in, I feel like you don't have a good sort of sample uh, to judge Holiday on, on what he can be when, when everybody's healthy around them and, and sort of they're playing cohesively and playing in the right, uh, in the right way. Um, you know, it's easy to, to chalk up some of his failings to, um, you know, what's sort of been disjointed around him. Um, See, I don't know. 176 million is a lot, and uh, I'm not sure that he's worth quite that. Um, but I'm also not sure that the Pelicans are going to find somebody who sort of serves their needs better than him. Um, so it might be a case where you're you're overpaying just because there's there's nothing else there that's gonna you know that's gonna fill the need there. I don't think they're gonna get better value uh, necessarily out there, even if he's not a not a great value. Um, and I think he'll probably get a lot of interest on, on the free agent market too. He's really blossomed into a, a versatile offensive player, become a pretty good shooter, a good creator out of the pick and roll. Um, there's still sort of this residual reputation of him as a solid defender from his time in, in Philadelphia. Um, and I don't think that's really the case anymore. You know, I think at best he's kind of an average defender. Uh, seems like the, the injuries have taken their toll a little bit. He doesn't seem quite as engaged at that end as he used to be. Um, and then, you know, with all the additional offensive responsibilities. So, um, you know, if, if the Pelicans are going to roll forward with this uh, boogie brow matchup in the front court or this combination of the front court, they need solid backcourt play. Um, and, you know, he's, he's probably as good as they're going to find out there uh, on the free agent market. And so, yeah, it, it might be worth just biting the bullet and, and overpaying for him. Okay, there's a lot to unpack with your response right now. I want to start with one of the earlier things you said. You said things are disjointed around him, and there are three different layers to this. Obviously, there's the head coach, Alvin Gentry, who had, as you said, a great deal, historically great deal of injuries to deal with in his first season last year. This year, he kind of had like three different seasons. He had the the first 12 games of the year without Drew Holiday. Then from that point through the All-Star break, they were playing about 500 basketball. Then with Boogie, they won 8 out of 11 after starting 2-6. and six. So it's difficult to judge his performance. I'll get your take on that in a second. We've got Dell Demps above him, who's been with the team for seven years now. He inherited Monty Williams. He's only had two playoff appearances. He's had some questionable decisions with Omer Sheik and Solomon Hill getting a great deal of money. But he's pulled off some nice trades for Ryan Anderson and, and Boogie, and he's had some nice pickups this year, like Jordan Crawford and Tim Frazier last year. But what I really want to harp on before we get to that is the Pelicans' ownership situation. I don't know how much uh, attention you guys pay to this over at Fansided NBA, our, our owner is essentially the owner of the New Orleans Saints, and our president of basketball operations is the New Orleans Saints general manager. How much do you hear about the Pelicans' infrastructure, and how do you think it's possible to build a winning foundation with an owner and a president who manage two major franchises in different sports? I think it's a challenging structure. I mean, it sort of adds a layer of complexity. It adds some, some, uh, you know, it raises the level of difficulty, but I don't think it's impossible. I mean, you look at, um, uh, like the Nuggets and they're owned by the, the Cronkies who also own, uh, I think what's the Rams and they own a, a, an English premier league team as well. Um, but they sort of have some nice structures in place. So they have like an analytics team that works with the Nuggets, but they also have a, um, 
you know, what you'd call it, sort of like a multi-sport analytics team that that works at the at the higher institutional level that sort of works on all of those sports. And it seems like they have some structures sort of in place to um, to impart those sort of bigger institutional values, uh, you know, down to each different organization and, and, uh, you know, people in, in each of those sports are sort of empowered to, to run their, uh, run their areas, uh, as they see fit and, and use their expertise in those specific sports. So, um, it, it's certainly hard if you feel like your, your top level is, is paying attention or is distracted by something else. Um, but if, you know, if, if they're willing to sort of empower the people down the chain, if they're willing to to let Dell Demps, uh, you know, sort of institute a vision and they're willing to to trust the other pieces that they have in the organization, I think um, I don't think it's it's inherently unstable or inherently means that it, it can't work. Um, I think with the Pelicans, they're watching them sort of as an outsider the past couple of years. It seemed like they realized what a special thing they had with Anthony Davis. And then there was this pressure to make it happen quickly. And, um, you know, it seemed this may not be the perfect comparison, but it seemed to me a little bit like the early LeBron years where it was like, all of a sudden we've got this transcendent guy and we've got to find the missing piece sort of every off season went into it sort of looking for the missing piece without acknowledging that, you know, there might be eight missing pieces um, and, and there might be sort of be a lot more foundational kinds of work that need to be built on roster building and the style of play we want to um, the style of play we want to run. Uh, and so I think they kind of trapped themselves into a, a short term cycle of, of improvement and as opposed to kind of planning for for the long term vision, what this team was going to look like, maybe five, seven years down the road. Um, and it, you know, caught up with them. They moves didn't, didn't work out, suffered through a lot of injuries. And then they were, you know, the, the cycle becomes self-perpetuating. Then you you take a step back and you feel like, oh, well, we, we can't afford to take a step back because we're going to lose Davis. He's going to want to leave. And so now we've really got to, you know, cash in and, and make the jump next year. And um that that's my perception of where the team has struggled the past couple of years is not uh, not sort of entering this Anthony Davis era with a long term vision, sort of being too focused on the on the year to year improvement. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, it's just two completely different methods of, of thought and football. It's almost like a, a battlefield where as long as you have a general, you can keep uh, you can keep experimenting with your other 52 positions. But in basketball, it's really like a ticking time clock. One big mistake can uh, can really cripple your franchise, kind of like uh, the mistakes with Omer Sheik and then doubling up on Alexis Agensa. But let's talk a little bit more about Del Demps. I want to get your take on him. He was just quoted last week saying, the season just ended yesterday. I walk in here every day excited about my job. I don't ever feel the pressure or anything like that. Right now we're in evaluation mode. We're going to sit back. I'm going to meet with Alvin and we're going to go over the whole season. We've got a lot of challenges this year, but I like the direction and the path that we're headed. Now, Every single year under Dell Demps, we've had this excuse, whether it be injuries, whether it be missing a couple of pieces. This year, he's got the excuse with the, the, the Drew Holiday situation, which was very unfortunate. We wish the best for he and Lauren. And then you've got Boogie Cousins. At, at what point do the excuses run out? And at what point do you make a change? I don't know. I mean, I think he's... Um... Look at Demps and what he's done the past couple of years, and clearly there's been some mistakes. I, some of them are were sort of more obvious uh, ahead of going into them than others. You know, some of them 
you know, some of those I think were, were gambles that just didn't pay off, but maybe were, you know, were reasonable swings at the time. Um, but I certainly don't think he's the worst uh, GM in the league or, or maybe even in the bottom 10. I think there's, there's uh, other guys out there who are sort of struggling uh, with some of the same kinds of things and, and, you know, not even not doing as well as he has. Uh, I mean, landing cousins is a huge coup. They've still got one more year to, to sort of see what that looks like and see what they can do with it. Um, and, you know, if, if they get into next season and it's sort of not working, I think there's still, uh, I don't think cousins trade value is going to collapse too much. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a point where they could get into next trade deadline and be making another move and, and sort of recouping some of the value there. So I think that was, was a really nice play. And obviously he's swung a great deal uh, with the Kings. I think the, the job uh, for Dems is like I was saying, is figuring out what is the long-term vision for this team? Uh, what do they want the team to look like this year, but also what do they want it to look like four years from now and how do they get there? Um, and, and really considering, you know the long-term ramifications of the moves that they're making this summer um guys they're going to sign guys they're going to trade how does that you know how does that affect the team a couple years down the road and it seems like uh like I said it seems like that's been an Achilles heel but again I don't know how much of that is bad evaluation on his part and how much is you know maybe a mandate from ownership or a pressure to sort of to sort of work in that cycle and you know maybe he's sort of trapped there doing the best he can Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. The the off season. Um, I, I guess you mentioned that there wasn't much flexibility, and Tom Benson is approaching ninety years old, so you could definitely make an argument that there's probably a lot of pressure on Dems to win now. And you can see moves like so- signing Solomon Hill to forty eight million dollars, bringing in Boogie, sacrificing you know our lottery pick last year, potentially our lottery pick this year. We don't have a, a lot of flexibility, especially if we re-sign Drew. We'll be stuck with the mid-level exception, the biannual annual exception, and trade exception. We know there's a lot of interest from Drew right now. The Lakers, the Kings, the Bulls, the Nuggets, the 76ers, the Nets. I've talked to a lot of the fan-sided uh, site editors for these sites. What What do you think, at, if you, Ian Levy, are the general manager this offseason, you don't have a lot of flexibility, starting with Drew Holiday, if you re-sign him, what is your battle plan for uh, accumulating players in the trade market? You, you've got that $8 million mid-level spot. You've got the $3 million biannual spot. What do you see on the market that the Pelicans could potentially add with those slots? Um, I would think about it more in terms of player archetypes than specific guys. Um, I think they really need shooting all the way around uh, every position, anywhere they can get it. I think it's going to be increasingly important with, um, you know, with Davis and cousins in the middle. Uh, those guys are, are going to occupy so much space and have so much gravity around the paint that if they really want to maximize uh, the skill sets of those guys, it's going to mean stretching the floor at the other three positions. Um, so I think you'd be willing to, to chase some guys who, um, maybe seem more limited uh, in the abstract. Uh, You'd be willing to maybe take a guy who's not an exceptional defender or something like that um, because, you know, because they uh, can shoot because they can stretch the floor. Um, If there's some, they offer some defensive versatility as well. That's something, uh, you know, that might be, um, you know, nice, but I think, I think they have to be willing to make some sacrifices and it's sort of hard because they swung the team last summer so far in the opposite direction. You know, they dropped, um, 
they sort of dropped all their offense only guys and sort of swung in the other direction with, with these, you know, defensive signings with uh, Etuan Moore and Galloway and, and Solomon Hill. And, and I think now they're sort of caught in this place where they might kind of need to go back in the other direction. So um, I don't know exactly what, what all these guys will command on the market, but I don't, somebody like Darren Collison uh, maybe makes sense. Uh, Jonas Jarebko makes sense kind of as a floor spacer, somebody who can uh, swing back and forth between the two forward positions. Um, but I think, I think that really needs to be the goal uh, is, is finding, finding shooters. Uh, and then, you know, maybe behind that you're worrying about some size and some defensive versatility. Excellent. Now let's talk about Boogie. We've, we've waited long enough. He's kind of our wild card uh, right now. We played very well when we added him. We moved our offensive efficiency up to 11th in the league, defensive to 5th. Really had a hot streak in March going there. Uh, I think eight games into the new Boogie Brow era. Talk about your opinions and expectations of Boogie going forward in 2017. And do you think he makes All-NBA? Because this could potentially have... Uh, big ramifications would he be eligible for that russell westbrook three-year extension should he make the all-nba team um i don't think he makes all-nba this year uh and i'm guessing he's probably not going to make it next year either i think there's some other young centers who are sort of coming up and are gonna you know maybe leap ahead of him next year um and it seems like uh, assuming he comes back healthy it seems like gobert is kind of firmly entrenched uh uh ahead of him as well. Um, I, my expectations for cousins, I think he's going to look a little worse next year statistically because he's sharing possessions with Anthony Davis because they're sort of, uh, Splitting the splitting the load a little bit in a way that uh, Cousins didn't have to in Sacramento. Uh, you sort of hope that that leads to increased efficiency. That both guys are sort of getting better shots or getting easier shots because of the presence of the other. Um, but it, it, it really might sort of take a while to get there and for them to figure out exactly how they want this to work um, and and. Uh, you know, what, what, what lineups maximize their value, how much their minutes are staggered to sort of take advantage and let one of those guys uh, beat up on second units, uh, which is a nice luxury that, you know, uh, they didn't have in the past. Um, so I, I think he still looks really good next year. Uh, I think probably the opinion of him drops slightly, just his individual numbers will drop a little bit, a few less shot attempts, uh, you know, a few less counting stats, uh, sharing the load with Davis. And so, you know, he may sort of uh, slide under the radar to some degree. Well, you're absolutely right. His numbers did dip a little bit. He still kept up uh, to 25 and 11, but that's obviously far down from the 28 and 13 he had before that. Uh, so we don't have a lot of flexibility. And like you said, we'll we'll be uh, stuck looking for players like Darren Collison and Jarebko and maybe Darren Collison. Are, uh, sorry, I already mentioned that. Jody Meeks, uh, Justin Holiday types. One other option that we might have, $3 million in space. What are your thoughts on Dante Cunningham? Kind of a, a journey veteran. He's got a player option for $3 million. Don't really know what he's going to do yet. Hasn't given us uh, any inkling as to his decision. But he has been shooting a little bit better this year, 40% from three after the All-Star break. Do you think he should exercise this option? Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, he might. Uh, it might be willing. It might be willing to have the job security as opposed to uh, going out there and, and trying to get something else. Um, I think. He, I mean, he's certainly an NBA rotation player. He's certainly a, a backup. He's going to find a deal somewhere else. Uh, I, I'm not sure where that would be or or what the cost would be. So, it might be better for him to just kind of stick around in this good situation. He feels like this is a team on the upswing. Um, his three point percentage was uh, nice this year it did improve quite a bit he's still kind of a low volume shooter uh, and that's one of the things about spacing the floor uh you talk about putting shooters around a big man a big man to kind of space the floor there's kind of two two ideas there one is the actual value of the three pointers that those guys are making and how that uh, helps your efficiency um, and then the other thing is uh how that affects the defense and how it uh you know stretches the defense and and um you know, opens uh, opens up space and opportunities for other people. I think Cunningham doesn't really move the needle on that second aspect. So he's making some three-pointers for them. That's a great thing because he's a low-volume shooter, because he doesn't have a history of being a great three-point shooter. I don't think defenses are worried about him that much. And he's he's not, uh, you know, he's not opening as much space as somebody else there with maybe a better reputation as a three-point shooter would, somebody that, that defenses are going to kind of pay more attention to. So maybe that continues to blossom. Maybe he comes in next year and, and you know, that three-point shot stays reliable, stays consistent. Uh, you know, he takes a few more and, and then defenses really feel like they have to adjust. Good stuff. Uh, so we don't, as I keep mentioning, we don't have a lot of flexibility. One place that Pelicans fans might want to keep their eye on is the Orlando and Las Vegas Summer League, uh, especially since we've had players like Czech Diallo, Quinn Cook, Axel Tupane in the D League this year. This is a great place to spot some young talent and players might be interested in coming to the Pelicans because there's going to be a lot of rotation minutes available to them. How how much do you and the Step Back cover the summer leagues and what can we expect from it this year? Uh, we've sent a few people the past couple of years. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a big circus uh, for the NBA. I've actually never been, uh, never has worked out with my summer plans, but my guess is we'll have another two, three writers there this year. Uh, we'll have a few kind of game recap, that kind of things, but mostly it's uh, more interested in, in talking to players there, uh, getting some player features. The, the access uh, is really nice for writers. Um, you know, a lot of guys who are maybe on the fringe of the NBA and more willing to talk and, and you know, spend time talking to a reporter. So I think that's the benefit for, from the, the writer's side for those who go. Um, it's kind of a, a, a chaotic environment in terms of projecting players, in terms of looking at who's doing what and, and how well that translates to the NBA. Uh, I, my take is that it's mostly eye test. Uh, you're looking at a guy and looking to see if they belong. Um, you know, do they do they stand out and what ways do they stand out? Uh, so you looked at it this year, you know, Devin Booker uh, was phenomenal in the summer league. And he it was sort of clear that he uh, his time as a summer league player were done. It was done. You know, he was ready to to sort of be a really impactful rotation starter uh, in the NBA. You know, Tyler Eulis looked fantastic. Um and, uh, you know, he played some nice minutes for the Sun. So I think it, it, it's things like that. It's the guys who really stand out, who really pop in the summer league. Those are the ones who are making a statement. Everybody else is, you know, it's it's kind of a muddle. Uh, and and now I suppose on the other side, if, if a guy looks really lost and really raw in summer league, uh, chances are he's he's got a long way to go before he's going to be doing anything in the NBA. Excellent stuff. Now, before I let you go, let's do some playoff predictions. 
Give us your MVP. Have you decided already? And who do you see in the conference finals? Uh, I picked Harden for MVP. I'm uh, very upfront that I th- I think the MVP award is sort of like picking your favorite story for the year. Um, I mean, all of those guys at the top deserve uh, the MVP award. LeBron, Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi. You could give it to any of those four guys, and it would be absolutely deserving. They've all played incredible basketball. Uh, you're really, I think, splitting hairs uh, once you get to that sort of tier of performance. Um, and so it's it's what interests you, what excites you, what you think is is sort of more important. So. If you like the historical aspect of of uh, of what Westbrook did this year, you give him the award, and that's fine. If you, know, you feel like it's important to really recognize two way play and and defensive effort, you know, give it to Kawhi, and that's fine. Uh, you want to recognize LeBron and the fact that he's you know gut check is is probably still the answer to who's the best basketball player in the NBA. Give it to LeBron, and that's fine. For me, uh, Harden is the most interesting of those guys. Uh, the system that they run is sort of so extreme and yet so simple and it's predicated on such precise execution and just kind of uh, that aspect of like, we're going to do the same thing every time down the floor, stop it. If you can, Uh, there's something so fascinating about watching that work. Um, So yeah, again, I I think you can't go wrong with any of those guys. I just find Harden the most interesting. And uh, as to conference finals, I think we're probably going to get the Cavs in the East on the other side, you know, kind of a muddle after, after the first couple games, Boston obviously looks like they're in trouble. I'm not sure I believe in the wizards. Uh, so I think I would say the Raptors, I think they're going to get past the, the bucks. I think they're going to solve their problems and uh, they just look deepest of anybody in the East uh, in the West. I think we're probably headed for warriors spurs, uh, although it should be fun getting there. Cool. All right. Before I let you go, you guys, this is Ian Levy. You can follow him at Hickory high. He is the senior editor and columnist for Fansided NBA and editor-in-chief for The Step Back. Tell us a little bit more once again about what you've got coming up in this first round of the NBA playoffs. Yeah, just uh, come check out fansided.com, our NBA vertical, The Step Back. Uh, We've got stuff going up uh, every day. Whatever you're into, you want uh, funny videos about the Spurs, we've got that. You want stats, we've got it. Uh, You want to find out what happened in the game last night, we've got it. Detailed video breakdown of how LeBron's uh, forcing mismatches all over the floor, taking the Pacers apart, we've got that too. So, yeah, come check us out. Ian, you're the man. Thank you so much for your time. All right, you guys, that was Ian Levy. Again, my name is Preston Ellis. You can follow me at Preston Ellis. Stay tuned this week and next week for interviews with Jeff Duncan, Mason Ginsburg, Keith Smith, as well as some of our friends at our own site at Pelican Debrief, and friends at the Chicago Bulls, Los Angeles Lakers, and Denver Nuggets site. So you guys, thank you again. Share, subscribe, retweet, tell all your friends, and come on back and join us. Let's go, Pels! Pels!